Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I try to, I'm trying to step out of the game. And that's why I say punk. Well, I think, too, it's just a label. There's probably some other words or labels that been have been given to basically thinking for yourself. Because really, that's what I'm saying. It is question your authority, do your own research, the do-yourself do ethics, supporting small businesses, not corporations. Like, I right. think it's being, like, there's the, all those parts, though, that people don't look at punk rock as being that way of thinking. They just think of angry people. But it's just a way to speak out too about injustices. It's 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 just a it's just the word used to think outside the box. I feel like and just that whole thing. Yeah, I mean, um, here's the other thing. Um, just, I mean, I should clarify just so I can. Um, like, here's my definition of punk. I think that will be just so when I talk okay, about right. it, people know. Because I don't think there's no there's certainly not a single definition of that word. Um, I don't think punk is a sound, although I might say that sounds punk. I don't think punk is a look, although I might say that looks kind of punky. <laughs> um, I don't think punk is an attitude, although I certainly bet people have punk-ass attitudes. Um, like I think, for me, the definition of punk is the free space. I like that. The free space, the mm-hmm. free space is where new ideas can be presented without having to go through some sort of um, training, profiteering training, profit training, where the problem with a lot of our society is that everything has to be profitable. Mm-hmm. And right. if something has to be profitable, like when, say with a band, like if you have an, a band to get a show a lot of times at venues, you need to have an audience, right? Mm-hmm. Because the audience is the venue's clientele because they're quite often they're bars. Mm-hmm. Right, so there has to be a way to generate money in some capacity. So the problem with new ideas is that they don't have an audience because they've not been thought of yet. Mm-hmm. So where do the new ideas come from? That's mm-hmm. for me. That's the free space. Now, the the portal in which I found that underground was called punk, but to me, jazz, beat, folk. Hip hop, blues, uh, rock and roll—all uh, these forms, all these things—they're all—it's all the same thing. It's just mm-hmm. that at some point, somebody in marketing writes it on a on a on a on a, on a genre tab, and it mm-hmm. becomes like a, a, de- a definition. Like as soon as it goes into the marketplace, people try to define saying, "Well, you're this, or you're this, or you're this, or you're this." I just don't think like that. Mm-hmm. I don't. But I use the word punk because I'm trying to at least differentiate myself from um, the, the the common soup. Right. Can we, um, before we go on, though, just to clarify, though, for people that know anything about, um, do you want to explain with the whole starting, because I think people don't all know about the X's on the hand and why you really started that? I mean, it's pretty pragmatic. I'm, very, I'm a very practical person. And, you know, we were all kids and we started playing in bands. And... Um, and certainly a lot of our fans were 14 and 15 year old kids. So it would be crazy for us in the beginning for us to play venues in which they couldn't come see the band. They were, after all, their fan, our fans, and they were us. <laughs> like Brian Baker in Meyer Threat was 15 years old. My brother was 14 in his band. So mm-hmm. though some of the venues would let us play, 
in there because they we had you know they would say oh well you can play quite often because we had equipment that the other bands would borrow or something they wouldn't let our friends in and uh, the drinking age in Washington D.C. in the 1980 was 18 for beer and wine and 21 for liquor and but we weren't even 18 <laughs> so we from the get go were like well we're not going to play. If you have to let our friends in, we're not going to play. So we started getting banned from all these clubs. It was a real, it was a serious issue for us. And, and in fact, the first Teen Idols, the first band um, that basically I was in that really played um, and then uh, put out a record, we had a song called Minor Disturbance, which is about, really about the idea that kids, you know, that, you know it, the, the refrain at the end of the song is, we're too young to rock, we're too young to rock, you know. But we sang it with a lot of, you know, gusto because we were, because clearly we were rocking. Mm -hmm. So, um, we didn't, it was no issue for us, but we were saying we're too young to rock, but we, 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 we chanted it together. And, um, so then in 19, uh, the teen idols went to California in 1980, in the summer of 1980. And we played one show in LA and one show in San Francisco. And we went to, there's a place called Mabuhe Gardens, which was a, very, very seminal venue um, in San Francisco where a lot of the early Bay Area punk really was showcased. And there was a guy named Dirk Dirksen that ran the place. And as we went into the venue, you know, we knew, I think I was, Jordy, the guitar player, was 17, I was 18. But they had a policy. We said, they said, well, you gonna, are you going to drink? And we said, no. And they said, oh. And they just took a marker and put an X on the back of our hands. It's just to show the bartender that not to serve right, us. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and we're like, oh, that's okay. And that's cool. Became... So then when we got back to Washington, um, we, were in, we got into negotiations with the 930 Club, which was the new, um, mm -hmm. it had just opened in, in uh, May of 1980. And it was the sort of the, the new wave slash punk rockish mm -hmm. venue. And it was run by a pretty amazing woman, Dodie Bowers. And, um, so we wanted to go to shows there, and at first we were not let in because it was 18 and up, but we said, listen, you know, we want to come to shows, and the other thing is we were starting to get popular. So we told her, you know, we found out that in D.C. there was what's called a popcorn law, and the popcorn law is this, that in, the, in Washington, D.C. at the time, if you served, um, uh, minors were not allowed in bars, but... If you served alcohol <laughs> with popcorn, DC, you had to serve food. Uh -huh. And if you, so technically you were a restaurant. So there's a <laughs> loophole. So we went to them and mm -hmm. said, like, let us in. We will put these X's on our hands. We will police ourselves. We obviously don't want to jeopardize. I want to see these bands. I want to see all these bands that are coming through. I want to see the bad brains. I want to see, you know, the damned. I want to see, all, you know, we want to see this stuff and we're not going to jeopardize it. And they agreed, and we held up our end of the bargain, too. And now, in Washington, D.C., I mean, 30, 38 years later, and the 930 Club is still open, still all ages. The Black Cat is all ages. The Anthem is all ages. The Rock and Roll Hotel is all ages. Like, it, it changed. I mean, kids who grew up around here went to shows. And that's very different than most cities. I can't believe I still never ended up going as much as I heard those names, 930 Club and Black Cat. Mm -hmm. But I was too young and didn't have a car, and um... no. yeah. So, <laughs> but know. the thing is, if you had come, you would have gotten in. So, and, and the, oh, the, so for me, it was man. always practical. And I understand that other kids saw it as sort of an icon, you know, an icon or 
I mean, and the Teen Idols on our single, the photo on the cover is my brother, mm-hmm. my younger brother, Alec, who at the time was, he would have been 15 at that point, and you just see his fish with the X's on the front. Who well, is we were it? trying to make a statement. Who, who is my that? Brother, Your yeah. brother? Okay. Are you yeah, impressed? Alec, yeah. Are you impressed that I knew of them too? That y- y- you and the Teen Idols? Do I impress you with my musical uh, knowledge of you? Uh, <laughs> no. Well, not everybody. Well, not everybody knows because I don't know how long you were together. Well, I assume you. I assume that if you were interested in my Wait. work and you said you'd listen to them, <laughs> I would expect that you would. And I'm not. I wouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy right. to know. Yes. And especially, um, too, they weren't. You, how long were you together with them? Not that long. Oh, just a year, less than a year. Yeah. And then I so, went on to Minor Threat. And then Embrace. I remember them. Minor Threat was three years. Oh, Embrace. 80, oh. 83, and then Embrace for less than a year in 85. And then 1987 was Fugazi mm-hmm. for 15 years. Mm-hmm. See? Yep. And I haven't even listened to all that I need to with Fugazi. And I know that that's for another show, too, because there's lots of stuff going on, like, with that still. Right? I, I, with I Fugazi. assumed that. I don't, I, with I Fugazi, mean, though, you're still doing stuff or you're doing... We don't, we don't play, no. But we're, just, we're, 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 we, we never, we, we put our band in, in 2002, we put the band on an indefinite hiatus. That's because we, the four of us still think of ourselves as in a band together, whether or not we play. Right. And then there's so, that orchestra something that I keep seeing all over the internet that covered songs. What's that? What? Huh? What is it? You don't know? <laughs> you don't know about that? Whoever that? What is that orchestra thing? It's like it's covering Fugazi songs. I have no idea. What? I thought that's big time. It keeps coming up on my Google page, and I'm like, this is weird, because I keep uh, talking to Ian. Like, does he even know? Yeah, I, I'll so, send you the link to it. It's like, no, it's yeah. some sort of orchestra experimental thing that's covering Fugazi songs. Oh, cool. Yeah, man, that, that, you know. I mean, you asked me earlier, was I, like, how did it feel to know that people, like, respond so strongly, or what I think about it? And really, it's just a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just interesting to see it's fascinating to me. I don't like. I don't think I'm a genius. I just think that the idea. I just think I just. I think I sent. It'd be like if you you made a. Um, you know, you had some soap bubbles, and you blew them out of the ring, mm-hmm. and then one just kept going and getting bigger and bigger, and you're like, well, "What the hell? All I do is just puff." Well, I guess then that's strange of me to ask a question that I was going to ask. Were you prepared for the fame? Because you don't really think you were famous or <laughs> are famous, right? There's no, no I mean, I understand that my name is is in the weird, my strange corner, the, my little tiny world, really, when you think about it compared to the rest of the world, uh, my name is recognizable. And there's some people who really have, they maybe have great respect for me or whatever, but really it's the music. And, you know, music kicked my ass, and all I had ever intended to do was return that favor. Mm-hmm. So I understand the relationship. People have often said to me, well, you, there's people who think you're a god. I go, oh, not really. Because if I was standing next to them on a bridge and told them to jump, they're not going to jump. That's just ridiculous. I think what they're, what they're trying to say, what people try to say when they refer to me as a god, is that they're trying to say that they were moved by something, that something in them was moved by music. Mm-hmm. or some, some, and it's, it's, So they use, the, they use the term mm-hmm. god as, as a way to signify um, representation. The, the, yeah, a representation of, of, of how significant that moment was for them. Right. But your work is your work, not mine. Mm-hmm. So if you, if the music you heard that I made, or the things I was associated with, if they give you 
some strength or air or whatever, that's because you were gathering strength and air, not because I I didn't put it in the pill for you. Right, right. But that's what so, people do some, sometimes, though. They look to look at people like that as if they're gods, like especially in um, on your uh, pl- uh, platform, you know, just like Hollywood. That's why it's what, like, really, that's your, what do you mean um, with the platform, like a, using a platform like um, like um, being hmm, on stage or it could be just like I want to say in Hollywood, like. Hollywood as a platform, like using a stage or using a, hmm, good question. Yeah, I don't know. This is like a platform. A podcast is like a platform. I mean, here's the only, the only, the thing that I find I'm uncomfortable with is people who try to use, typically the people who have, who try to manipulate or try to take advantage of other people's interest or affection or respect for the work. The ones who try to take advantage of it are really typically are just trying to profit. Mm-hmm. Right. Or get laid. I guess that's the other yeah. thing. But it's yeah. funny. When I, in my first ever interview, ever, I was in, in the Teen Idols, and this woman interviewed us. And one of the questions was, are you, into a, are you in a band for the girls or the money? <laughs> and I was wow. completely, I couldn't, I hadn't, I was so confused. It, it never occurred to me that people would join a band for either one of those reasons. Yeah. I joined a band to play music. See, remember how I said the part, you're just being yourself, and then there's other people, though, in the uh, in the other part, yeah, I you get know, that. the yeah. world. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying that. So for me, it has never so occurred weird. to me that I was, that she said, you joined it for the girls with the money, and I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Like, I... I was going to make music. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing I've talked about in another show about asking women all the my whole life about, did you always think that you wanted to have babies and get married and have this typical like American um, lifestyle thing? And a lot of them say yes, right? So there's a very select few. And I was never like that. I never envisioned my life like that. That's what you do. You know, have a bunch of kids, push right. out a bunch of kids. And um, <laughs> it's okay, it's for you, but that's very strange to me to have that as your focus as a teenager. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, I, I'm, yeah, I guess thing. so. It's I don't know. I mean, I, always, I think as a child, I always felt like, oh, I'd like to be a parent. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't like, I didn't think like, you know, that's my job. This. I just thought, <laughs> it just seemed like, yeah. I grew up in a big family. I have, you know, four brothers and sisters and. Um, or uh, relatively big on these in today's terms. Mm-hmm. Um, but my family is super tight. I mean, last night I had dinner. All my family lives here except for I have one sister, and she and her partner live in the Bay Area. But the rest of us have oh, dinner goodness. with my father every every Sunday night. Nice. Can we also um, – how much time do you have for me, actually, so that I know? When's your, you have to pick up your kid from school? Oh, yeah. No, I'm okay. She's all good. She's taken care of. Okay, because I want to ask you about some other things that I think people can relate to while all of that stuff was great and interesting um, and I love. I do want to ask you some things such as friendship because since I grew up over there, there's just um, there's definitely different kind of people out here. And I think California people don't really understand what I talk about when I say people are different on the East Coast. It also could be due to fast-paced living. So what I want to ask you, I think you value friendships as I do. 
And when I say that, I mean, like, they have deep meaning for us, like what it means to be a friend. If I say I'm going to pick you up at the airport, I'm going to be there. Because also California has lived up to, I didn't say there's not good people here, but uh, keeping to their word, there are a lot of flakes. There are a lot of the things that people, you know, that California, I feel, is known for. Um, so it has been, I've been here like 18 years. So, you know, I've found very few good friends. I want to ask in your, um, I guess, opinion or your experience, because you have long time ones that you keep, like, um, I guess it's not a tip. Okay. You did say one of your things, right? You make it a point to have dinner or see people like once a week. That's one of your things you do, right? No, I just said that my family had dinner every together every Sunday night. I guess I try, Cal- to, stay, I try to stay in touch with people if I can. But I mean, you know, it's it's hard. I mean, you know, obviously, there's a lot of people, and everybody's got their own orbits. But I am, I do, I think I, I would say that I try. I always tell people, let, we can be out of touch, but let's not be out of reach. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's mm-hmm. my way. I mean, I have to say, I don't agree with your characterization of Californians. Okay. I mean, I don't live there. Um, and I and it's true that there's there are some I think, geographic differences that sometimes show up in the kind of general attitudes. Although I think when you say California, that is a big piece of land with an awful lot of people. Right, and I'm I think judging. People, I'm totally judging. People who live in uh, you know um, Wairika are not hard to throw them in with the bucket with the people in San Diego and. Um, so I, I think that there's it's it's uh it's I, mean, I have a lot of friends there who I think are pretty damn good people, good friends, really pretty true blue. Um and uh, you know, but you're there's an East Coast expand. thing for sure. Yeah, there's yeah. A, and I think I need to of course expand because I've been in an industry that also is filled with people like that. And so I think it's totally um I, I'm not I guess I'm not really sure. Maybe it's again, it's really small town living. Well, I was going back to quality and friendship and people. I think what I'm trying to say is that small town people, while sometimes they can have small small minds, um because they aren't open or don't get open to other new concepts and ideas. Maybe I just think that the people back there are of um, value friendships and quality more, but it's not like I met everybody that's lived on the East Coast. I just know where I came from. Right, but I think that's your opinion. I think also where you lived, those are the people who you became you with. So they have a different relationship. You arrived... If, I mean, maybe not fully formed, but how, I mean, you were an adult by the time you got out to Sacramento, right? Mm-hmm. And you came with, I don't know why you went there, but there's probably, if I played a, you had, an, you had a position that you were coming as a stranger, you uh-huh. know, so then, and so then you had to like say, well, th- I'm this. And if you say I am this, that means you're that, which is different. And, 
Um, well, we have to uh, make it, ourselves. I just had to. Well, I liked it here. I I was born here. I lived here till I was six. I wanted to come back for the weather is one thing because I definitely don't right. need to live in the cold again. I think though too. I mean, I liked it and wanted to stay here, but sometimes I have felt like you know I wouldn't have stayed here based on my experiences with people. But I guess I guess I don't really know. I guess I'm wanting to see if you had the same have had the same experience um, with me. But like you said, you've made good quality friendships out here i didn't even, i mean well, so. i've traveled around i mean i've over the years i've toured and there's people in virtually every country who i was like wow that's a good you know that's a that's that's a good, <laughs> person. good person and i don't yeah i like these people there's, <laughs> it's interesting. there's some countries that are a little more um or some cultures i should say where i feel like a little more reserved don't kind of get to know them as well like you take like for instance it I probably went to Japan like four times before I ever saw the inside of somebody's house. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. whereas other other countries, you know, you you land and they immediately take you to their house. Um, I don't know. That's just that's just different cultures. I think that I mean, what about specific- D.C. though? Because D.C. is a big city, have and it's such a variety of personalities and everything. Have you've had more positive experiences? Would you say than negative? I mean, I, I'm. I'm a fifth generation Washingtonian. I've been here my entire life, so I don't have a lot to. Ch- <laughs> I don't really have a lot to like compare it to. Uh, you know, there's nothing else that I've no other experience that could match that. And uh, but, you know, I will say like one thing about Washington is that it's, you know, understandably people think it's the federal government. Uh, they look at it as a you know a city filled with white marble buildings, and um, that's not the city I live in. That's the federal part of the city. A little bit like Hollywood or something, but frankly, it's like Sacramento being the capital of, of California. Like, you, yeah, sure, you know, you got your you got the capital there, but there's all you know, there's, there's human beings doing all kinds of stuff there. There is actually there is a community there that is that doesn't give a damn about the government, and mm-hmm. you know they they have other things going on. So the same in Washington, but it's just magnified because it's a much bigger government, and um, and this you know I think that we get more. Uh, TV time, Washington, D.C., than Sacramento does. And, you know, the news likes to talk about the government. Uh, but I come from, my parents are not in government. My dad was a newspaper writer. And my, you know, my grandfather was a newspaper writer. And my grandmother was a, a magazine writer. And my mother was a writer. Everyone's writers. And mm-hmm. uh, we weren't part of the government. We were, uh, we just were observing, you know, like, like everybody, you know, but it was, my world was not, like, I come from a part of Washington which is what's happening in the shadows, which is people living, uh, the shadows of these buildings. And uh, so I have a, my, you know, my, I feel like there's a pretty, the people I know who are of Washington or people who came to D.C. and really became, became their adopted city, people, they, it, it's a deep, people have a pretty deep connection to this town, um, especially like for the punk kids. Part of the reason I think the scene here flourished the way it did because we were so disconnected. We had no culture. You know, everyone, they, you know, basically you're expected just to go to college or move to New York or something, and that was it. Get out of Washington. But we, were, we weren't going to move to New York because we were still in school. We were in high school. And, and, uh, and being told, I think for, you know, young rebels, being told that you can't do something is exactly yeah. why you'll do it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that once we started with making music and 
um, the band started playing, but then most importantly, the bands provided a currency. Um, music was a currency for a formation of, of, a, of a social um, clique or, 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 or as I said, became a tribe. Like we, it's like this gathering of, of kids um, who found, found in each other a family. And then we ended up, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday who said, you know, that um, he always thinks about sitting on the curb out front of the 930 Club. And I, always, and I, and I said, yes. In fact, people often talk about the scene here but they keep thinking the scene was the bands, but the, the bands were on the stage. The scene was out, you know, between the, sh the, the set, sitting out on the curb talking and, 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 and making these sort of deep, lifelong connections. Um, just, you know, like, which, just like gang life. What's that? <laughs> just like, like, gang like gang life. life. You don't, no one gets killed or yeah. beat up for it. So, right. um, you don't get beat in or beat out. You just, you know, uh -huh. but, uh, so I think that, you know, yes, I, you know, I think Washington people are nice, but I don't know. Uh, no, I don't and then, know yeah, I think, I think really my, what I would say to you, however, is that country life is you, different than when city you care, if you're trying to feel a sense of connection, maybe less t talk about California people mm -hmm. and just talk about we, because right. you're a California person. Well, and feel it inside myself. How about that? Yeah, but you say just yeah. You know, I wrote a song from Fugazi called "Ex Spectator," mm -hmm. and the idea is at some point stop spectating and, and assessing what other people are doing, and, and accept that you're you're part of that. Well, of course, but I think there's parts of that. You know, because I also don't have any immediate family here. I think I cling and and want that whole feeling because I know how important it is. Sometimes when you have family anyway, you can't talk to them about stuff, all your inner right. turmoils of whatever. I don't know. Maybe I'm being dramatic. Right. I would but... say that's true. Even in my for families that see each other all the time, it's like yeah, it's, just, you know, it's, like, it's not stuff. what necessarily you want to do. But you know, but I think the point is that you're. You've made a decision. You're yeah. Stop dwelling. You're located. I mean, you I, you have a child, right? Yes. Okay. So I think have some, stop dwelling. I think you have you would a tell family. Mm -hmm. There's a family somewhere involved, and and I think that's like I. This is I. I it's an admonition that I take for myself, which is to be not to be a spect merely a mm -hmm. spectator. It's okay to watch, but don't only watch. Don't mm -hmm. only think that you're every, it's everybody else and you watching because then you're never going to be connected because you're the mm -hmm. one who's not connecting mm -hmm. well I think too it's not about me finding a bunch of friends like at this point in my life like it's not about finding more friends or having more of a social life like I think those things would help maybe but I don't um I'm not concerned with that part I think it's really because it's like it hurts my soul or something like the lack of support just in general like there is support right when you find it but as as maybe as a nation, maybe just that overall uniting of people that I would like so much for us all to yeah. have because it's all about love. <laughs> I do think it's all about. But love. I think that but again, like I feel like, and I, I relate to this to some degree, but I also and I know a lot of people who really who are like just furious because they can't like they're just they want to go to war because they can't find peace. And I think there you go, like that's that's you know like in other words. Sometimes, not not being able to find support is and like and being frustrated is part, it's like it's almost like your one is not open to the support that's out there mm -hmm. and it's almost it's like and 
And, you know, I have this, this concept of the open door or the locked door. And, and you know, like in my mind, if you have an open door, uh, like, you know, you may get the occasional devil. But if you have a locked door, a thousand angels walk by. And I think that that's, mm. you know, and I think that's the case, like, you know, when people talk about, like, their frustration was, like, they're like, I know one's, you know, I can't find anyone who I can see eye to eye with or whatever. But it's because your door is closed. It's like you need, you need to just open your door and you may get, it gets hard, you know, but you're, because you worry about someone coming in and messing things around. But really, the, they're all around you. And all putting people, yourself, yeah, and putting ourselves out there. Because if you're not even putting in yourself in situations right, to exactly. meet people. That's what I'm saying. That's mm-hmm. the expectator. Mm-hmm. The, ex- the expectator is somebody who's they, is somebody who's not going to just sit back and go and assess what everybody else is doing all the time. Mm-hmm. Especially um, if they're not, you know, this is not lost on me because though I understand why people thought all the punk rockers were so angry, I don't I actually don't think they were so angry. I think that they were passionate. Um, no, I think people. But also, viewed, I mean, also, I frankly, people, people say why so, much, why so much why so much yelling, and I'd say. Come on, it was loud and fast, and it was hot, and it was exertion. You know, so you had to yell and scream. It was also fun to blow it out, you know. But, um, I, you know, I've never known any any group of people that laughed more than punks did. So I don't, they weren't, originally everyone sitting around sharpening their switchblades and, like, you know, you know, figure out how to set fire to things. And so, moshing and slamming into right, each other. Right, so I other. think that was all just energy, just, just energy <laughs> coming out. And I think that... You know, I, I feel like that, the, um, the, you, know, the, you know, at some point I did realize that, so, I was thinking, what are all these punks singing about? Like, what am I singing about? And what, if I'm frustrated, what am I frustrated? And, and I think, well, I'm frustrated because, you know, I want people to be well and I want people to be happy. Like, what, what are we in service of? Like, when we're complaining about the government, if we're complaining about the way people treat each other, what is it that we are what are we trying to bring about? We're trying to bring about peace, right, or love. Mm-hmm. We're trying to bring about a sense of wellness or happiness, right? And, but so many people I knew who were fomenting for, um, fomenting for these things in their own lives were filled with resentment and, and anger and, and, and self-destruct. They weren't taking care of themselves because the world was so screwed up. And, and I thought, well, wait a minute. Like, if I really am pushing for joy, then I should feel a sense of joy. I should get that going on. <laughs> get that right? Going I should on. live yeah. joy. Instead uh-huh. of just pushing for joy, I should, I should accept joy. I should live joyfully. doesn't mean everything's great. I don't think everything is great. <laughs> but I think the world is better than it's worse. I think I've realized, though, there's no finishing point to happiness. You have to maintain. I feel like it has to be maintained. The fields will never be plowed. <laughs> Do your what best. Is- get some rest. Will never be plowed? What do you mean, plowed perfectly? Or finished plowed, plowing? will never be plowed. If you had a farm and you were plowing your fields, uh-huh. right, uh-huh. by the time you finish the last one, the first one is grown back. Uh-huh. Okay. The fields will never be plowed. Mm-hmm. Do your best and get some rest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do your best. <laughs> Did you just think of that? Do your best and get some uh, rest. Yeah, yeah, the do your best gets your rest. I, that just came to me right now. Uh-huh. But it feels never be cloud. I've been living by that for years. Is that... My work is never, it's unending. My work is unending. And I was like, I can't get it all done. That's right. right. 
Is this a you segue? You can't get it all done. Is this so the, stop operating on the illusion that you will. Is, it, is, this, is this the segue into our talk on how love is complicated? <laughs> I don't know. How much time do we have? <laughs> Not enough for that topic. Oh, my God. All right. What did you, you had a burning question for me? Because oh, what time are we at? Okay. Um, probably 10 minutes, according to what you said. Um, I want to okay. go back to... <clears throat> Just to step back on, you know, how you said you you went through a lot of ridicule and stuff because you weren't following the the crowd and you were the black sheep. I was the, the teased non- by friends. Let me let's recast. So, re- okay. I was teased by friends. I didn't go through a lot of ridicule. That's a little heavy handed. But still, those other so basically though, if you weren't doing going to the parties and you weren't doing the stuff like the other people around you, I no, mean, I'd really go to didn't party, care. But then people were like, "Come on, dude, why don't you not?" I think I made other people self conscious because I didn't drink. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know, we're the we're the square, though. I was like, if you don't, um, I was like, well, can I be your designated driver? Even as an adult, right? You're not you're no fun. If you're not drinking, you're no fun. Nora. I mean, I think it's, it's a really in my mind. It's, in a te- it's really it's, it's a testament to the alcohol lobby, uh-huh. you know, that they've managed mm-hmm. to they managed to give to to completely convince uh, not just this culture, but many cultures around the world that that um that. The, the way to mm-hmm. um, to navigate socially is, is, is to be inebriated. And I find mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Um, it's, right. it's a shame that people don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. talking to, dancing with, or fucking um, sober. I don't understand why people can't accept those things as normal in their lives and to be well about those things. Right. Well, we're um, not I don't, I don't understand, I don't understand that, but I do think that the alcohol industry has managed to, um, hoodwink everybody into thinking that they need their product mm-hmm. and they're selling something. So why not? And it's been successful. Well, you it's know, a successful marketing ploy. It's all sorts of these different things, including prescription drugs. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm using it. Yes, of course. Yeah, things. of course. But I'm just using, I mean, uh-huh. the large subject, but mm-hmm. So basically, I think one of the important things, though, that you said for like the whole show in the beginning is that you weren't really that I think could have been misinterpreted is like you do not try to advocate that this works for which I love you not trying to advocate that this is the way and we are not neither one of us is saying this is the way this is just something that works for us and the lifestyle I'm talking about a chosen lifestyle and in particular, this sort of a thing. See, for me, that's why I don't like the labels. Anything with restricting and constricting my freedoms, because I like so many different things. You know, I have respect for Eastern and Western medicine, right? I do walk around and breathe the um, pollutants in the air. I eat food in places I don't even know what they're doing. Do they sneeze on it? Um, <laughs> you know, so all these probably. sorts of... Sneeze. Well, pro- probably. They've been sneezing for a millennia, and <laughs> most of the world's lived. Yeah, I mean, until so, they died, which is everybody, right. but go ahead. And I want to have, if I want to have one drink once or twice a year, like overall, I try to live a pretty clean lifestyle, but I don't, again, with the whole labeling thing and people like feeling like they have to have, I don't know to say they feel like they have to have a label. They're just used to putting people in boxes and being put in boxes, you know? Oh, you hang out with that person or whatever. You're the jock or you're the cheerleader and you're supposed to be like this and that. So that's what I mean about the whole defining, like just I, be- I hear you. I have to say it's not my experience. That, I mean, maybe it's just the company, but my the people I spend time with don't 
talk like that or think like that. Now, maybe in teenagers they did, but not, not I mean, now. I'm, 50, yeah, 60, nobody... I'm 56 years old. Right. And, I yeah, know. And, and if you're, you're in your 40s, I assume? 40s, like so, that. yeah. No, no, so, I'm I mean, not I saying now. you're hanging out with, they talk about, like, well, you're a jock. You're <laughs> no, like, what are you talking about? Like, these, we're adults, no, you know? Not it's now. It's insane to me. They, and, and people, if there are people you're spending time with who no. are thinking like that, then I would, I would, if I were you, I would take a massive grain of salt. Because no, I've, I'm talking. I've met, like, I've, I will say that there are some adults I've met who talk about the term loser. Like, you, I don't want to be a loser. Or, that guy's a loser. And I'm like, what, what, does what kind of adult would talk like that? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's like a 13-year-old or something. Well, what's defining um, loser, though, too? What does that mean? <laughs> right, exactly. It's just so absurd to me. So I just... So that when I'm, people start talking like that, I just think, okay, well, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have anything to contribute to that because I just don't... That's, that's not the way I think about life, period, mm-hmm. or people. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I box people. I don't think of, like, I don't think, oh, that person's this, that, and the other thing. Now, obviously, you know, for this, for this sake of organization, you know, and sometimes for protection, like, we have to, like, you know, we have to assess situations. So if you're walking down a street and you see, you know, on one side of the street, you know, there's, you know, a nun, and the other side of the street's a guy with, with two running chainsaws, you, you tend to stay on the side of the, of the nun, you know, like, mm-hmm. just because it, that's just obvious that, that, that there's assessment that we have to put into play. Um, and obviously, visually, that, that uh, the way we look at things is, is our, one of our first line of defenses. I mean, I think probably smell is our most powerful, but I think that's been, we've lost that talent. Um, we lost the conscience aspect of it, but visual, you know, first we visualize. So I think that's why people often talk about appearances or, or that person's such and such. Um, but really we all do have, we do have to organize, but we don't have to dismiss. But, or I understand. We, have, we don't have to dismiss. Have you ever, or when you were, um, are growing up during that time because of your interests though, um, and it's a different, you were at a, you know, younger and all that. Do you feel like you were pretty open to all different types of people, meaning whoever you talked to or whatever, like you didn't really, I don't know no, to say you thought you were better. People. You what? No, I was, are you talking about a teenager? No. I mean, I was looking, I was, I was looking for the people of, of a common feather. Of course, I was scared of other people. I didn't want to be. I like. I was looking for a, a family, so yeah, I didn't want to hang out with junkies because they scared me, and I thought they were going to die. And a lot of them did, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to hang out with jocks because those guys were you know getting into stupid fights and didn't seem to care about other humans, especially women, mm-hmm. right? The degrading, so that, huh? Right. So I, that was not my world. I didn't want to hang out. So no, I definitely looked for for like-minded people. That's what the punk thing was about. You know, so mm-hmm. of course as a teenager, it's a way, you know, it's how we organize ourselves. We're organizing, we, it's an organizing principle to find people who we feel comfortable with. I do it's feel like... Not the guy with the chainsaw, right? Yeah, and if you're not doing a lot of those things in mainstream culture, you know, that's just, that's different. And you do kind of end up, it's, uh, I don't know, I feel like I outcasted myself just because I liked different things. That's just how it was. It didn't have yeah. similar interests to people. Right. So and I, I don't, I don't even know. I feel like, I mean, I was a skateboarder at a time where I felt like being a, like I go to a party in 1975 or 76 and then all my friends would be like lining up at the keg and I'd be, I'm out of here, going to go skating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. And I just go out, and then we'd be out in the streets till 
three in the morning skateboarding, you know, um, and that made me, it was rebellious. It was really rebellious. Um, it started with, before punk. I mean, mm-hmm. I was, I think I've always, I think I've always been, I'm, you know, I think that I'm just, I've always been a little eccentric and that's good. Mm-hmm. I don't need beef with that. Yeah. Well, it's usually to the people that are more of the creatives too, that are kind of like that. So, um, anyway, okay, before we hang up, but I'll go ahead and, um, end the show by great talking to you for your podcast. I know this was fun. And, um, yeah, there's probably so much more that we could talk about, but let's go ahead. And so final in be, um, being clear in the walk away is that it was just something that I wanted to bring up that this philosophy is not a bunch of angry, um, teenagers who don't shower and uh, we have serious things backed behind. Um, I mean, what I can say, look. just on that note, <laughs> yes. is that there were certainly, the punk world or the underground music scene certainly had its share of unwashed, dirty teenagers. <laughs> or, 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 and it certainly had yes. people who had emotional problems, and there were, people, there were some people that were violent, and there were some people who were a little depraved. And uh, yes, some of those things existed as they do in, in regular life. But I think what's, what's worth pointing out is that anybody, if you step back, you wonder, like, well, who on earth would want to be associated with that kind of scene? Like, if it's that, if right. it was so nihilistic, like, who on earth would want to do that? And that yet people still do. And that should be pretty clear evidence that there was something deeply creative and industrious and constructive going on that people feel so powerfully and so strong about it that they would, t- even like you, talking about it on your podcast in 2018 when something that occurred, you know, that you came across, you know, some 20 or, t- 20 or 25 years ago, right? So, so I think that clearly um, there is a, a, a deep um, constructive and, and, and positive aspect to this and that, and the fact that people could identify with it at all, given mm-hmm. the way the media has portrayed it, uh, is really, I think, pretty clear evidence of it. And the other thing is, is that, at least from my point of view, like there's, you know, people say, you know, like I had a wrote, once wrote a poem about punk rock, which was because we said so. Hmm. That, that's the whole point. And, uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. and then, and then the other thing I was going to say is that. The other thing about punk rock, which is so important for me, is that, yeah, okay, we don't care. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, I care, mm-hmm. but I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, so if somebody, like, I, like, I obviously, like, I think about things. I've, like, I've listened to your, your show. I talk, I've been really trying to be thoughtful in my responses. Clearly, I care. Like, and, I'm, and I try to offer up some, you know, constructive thoughts. But if somebody hears this and thinks like well, that guy's an idiot i don't give a fuck <laughs> i don't i don't i do not i just don't care right. it doesn't matter because here's the thing for i don't what i what i do i think is like sure i it's important to me and maybe it's important yeah. to some other people in my work is maybe uh-huh. but and if you think about it in reality the truth is that 99.99999% of the world never have never will hear me or anything i've ever done Mm-hmm. I did my house and everything around this block could go up in a giant ball of fire and nobody and you know it, it wouldn't affect a fly on a bowl of soup in fucking you know Nepal it doesn't matter it has no it, it means nothing it's nothing so given the fact that you know in life that, or at least it, for me 
given the fact that I know that life is really nothing, and it's nothing, then do well and be well. How about don't care? Like everybody's going to have an opinion and not everybody's going to agree with us or anything, and it really doesn't matter, so don't soak it up. That could be your slogan. But what is the tool, though, to do that, to, to take the word and not run with it, or the thought, or is that people's coming, they're coming from their own stories and perceptions, you know what I mean? Because they could just yeah. be like, well, Ian, that's not who I thought he was. That's fine. <laughs> that guy's a fucking loser. That guy's a fucking loser. I no, don't joking. care. That's the thing. I don't, I mean, I'm happy. It doesn't matter. Like, honestly, like, you know, you contacted me, it was like a year ago, and you said, hey, I want to do this podcast someday. And I was like, oh, and then it took us months and months and months. I actually, like, I'm happy to have a chat with you. I don't really, I, you know, it doesn't, as I said, I got nothing to sell. There's not, yeah, no product here. Way. I just, mm -hmm. I'm just having a chat. If you find it interesting, great. And if somebody else heard this and thought, well, that was interesting, great. But they don't, great. Uh -huh. I don't care. That's fine. <laughs> okay, that's good. Let's stop I like the your attitude of that. Okay, but don't hang up. Okay, thank you All for right. listening to Rock Your Life with Nora Finch, and check this out next time. Bye-bye.